Today's lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, from the 8th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm so excited to be uh, participating in this sermon series, though you asked for it, sermon series. Um, when Heather sent me the, the questions that were put to her, uh, to, to us as kind of a, a ministerial team, what, uh, what questions you had as a congregation, I got really excited about the faith and life of this conversation, the things that, that, that we are wrestling with as a community. Um, and so when Heather asked me which one I wanted to preach on, I sent her five of them, and I couldn't pick, and she pared it down to two, and then I had to actually decide. Um, and, and so the, the, the question that I picked to talk about is, uh, what is discipleship and what is its cost? So one of you was thinking about that and, and asked the, the ministerial team here, and I get the privilege of talking about discipleship uh, in, in the modern day, and I'm, and I'm so, so excited to, to share um, some of that with you. So there are a plethora of texts to choose from when thinking about and talking about discipleship. Um, discipleship is a specific word that, that is used mostly in the New Testament, but, but I think it applied a lot to the ways that the prophets were called in the Hebrew Bible as well. And so I had 66 books to choose from when trying to choose a text, and it was really difficult. Um, so I ended up choosing this text because I think that it, it puts very succinctly what is at stake when we say that we are followers of Christ. To lose our life in order to gain it, to pick up our cross and follow Christ. That is a tall order. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is that uh, we can look at the kind of what it means to be a disciple by talking about the call stories of the disciple. This, this question, the disciples, this question is, is important to me as I am a, a, a member in discernment, which is kind of this middle space between being a lay person and being clergy. I'm not ordained yet, but uh, God willing, I will be one day. And, and so when it comes to hearing a call and discerning a call, that's kind of what my whole life is about right now. Uh, and so, so this question specifically is very near and dear to my heart. So when I when I turn to the disciples, I, I look to them for, for guidance about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, so, so what can we extrapolate from, from the call story? You know, we, we know the, the, the call stories of the, the fishermen, and, and Jesus said, come and follow me, and they dropped their nets, and he said, I will make you fishers of men, and they left their life behind and nothing was the same after that. The same with Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, he was sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me, and he left a table full of money to go follow Jesus. So what I gain from those, those call stories is that the disciples are pretty normal people. There's nothing really 
special about them. They're working class. They, you know, they were in the middle of doing their job, um, kind of minding their own business. And Jesus says, no, you. And they're like, oh, me? Okay. And then they follow. Um, and, but the thing about them is that they had to be open to hearing God's call. Now, that's a little bit easier when you've got Jesus in front of you. Um, it's a little bit more um, nebulous and maybe mystical for those of us on this side. But, you know, but, but they had to at least be um, open to hearing a call that could change their life. You know, how many of us can say that if someone said, hey, quit your job, come follow me on this weird you know, trip I'm taking, how many of us could say that we would do that? I probably wouldn't. You know, I don't know you. You're a random person. Like, why, you know, why would I follow you? But they were open to hearing God's call because there was something magnetic about Jesus and his mission. And they were willing to leave their previous life behind. So literally in the middle of hauling in nets, they drop them and follow Jesus. So James and John, um, the, the text says they were with their father who was also fishing with them. You know, so you think of like a father and son company and they're like, well, I know you wanted to pass on the family business to the next generation, but sorry, dad. And they left him holding the nets and they went. Um, and then finally, the thing that, that we can extrapolate from, from Jesus's relationship with, their, with his disciples is that once they have followed for a little while, they are sent out into the world. So they don't just get to hang out with Jesus. They're sent out uh, to, go, to go do his work in the world and to talk about uh, his vision for the world and his ministry. So this is just the information we get from the call stories um, about what it means to be a disciple. These are the stories that we have and can, can kind of take that information and, and, and glean these kinds of um, nuggets of wisdom about what it means to be a disciple but Jesus, in his, his parables and teachings, puts it a lot more pointedly. It's not just what can we learn from these stories. There's some things that he says straight up that are really uncomfortable. And he doesn't just, just uh, relegate it to the, the special 12 at her, his inner circle. He says it to anyone who is interested in being his follower at all. So one of the, the big uh, stories in, that appears in both all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it doesn't appear in John, is the, the story of the rich young man or the rich young ruler who says, I've kept the law and the, and the prophets perfectly. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be a follower of you? And Jesus says, sell everything you own and follow me. Give, give the money to the poor and follow me. And the, and the ruler went away sad because, uh, and it says literally, because he had a lot of things. So, so leaving possessions is, is something that was central to uh, what it means to be a disciple. Even more uncomfortable than that, uh, leaving and even hating or being at odds with family members. So, so when... Uh, Jesus asks us to, to leave our family members. It's not even just about, excuse me, <laughs> leaving or, or even hating or being at odds with our family members. So what it means to be a disciple means that you're so weird, you have such a different way of looking at your life that it will create tension with the people around you. And he also says that it means to leave your home 
and, and things that are comfortable. So, so there's a scripture that says that the, the foxes have holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man and his followers have no place to lay their heads. It's about being uncomfortable. And then finally, we turn to the text that we had today, taking up their own cross and the possibility of losing their life. So that's a pretty stacked cost of discipleship. But that's not where Jesus leaves it. The disciples are promised a lot of things in return. If you lose the life that you had before, you are promised a life in return. If you are, are with Jesus, he promises us that he is the vine and we are the branches, that we will gain nourishment and community when we are in relationship with him. He promises us peace, but not as the world gives peace. He promises us love and life abundantly. So that's all nice for people in scripture, but what does that mean for us now in the world that we have? Um, discipleship is one of those like paradigmatically churchy words that we only us use. It's, it's, the, it's the language that, that people in churches know and use, but, but people who maybe didn't grow up in a church, it's not, their, uh, it's not in their vernacular. And some churches, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm so glad that this church doesn't do that, some churches use the word discipleship to talk about new members coming in, and then we get you involved in a church ministry or the church choir or, uh, or, uh, or on church council, and then you become a leader in the church, and it's a, it's a self-fulfilling cycle, uh, which is fine, like, and, and that's super important for the sustainability of, of churches as institutions, but it is not the, the, the wild and wonderful depth of meaning that that word discipleship has. It has the power to disrupt everything that we know about ourselves and, and being a disciple in all of what it means, that is one of the earth-shaking consequences of our faith. So let's return to the call stories of the disciples. What does it mean for us today? It means that because they were normal people working normal jobs, that calling is for everyone, not just for ministers. It's something that we are all in the process of doing. The United Church of Christ has a, a saying that, that God is still speaking. So while we don't have the, the physical person of Jesus in front of us to you know, crook his finger and call us, we still are discerning a call as a community and each of us individually. God is still speaking, and because of that, we need to be able to be willing and able to listen and then to act. So one of the, the themes in the liturgy this morning is the, the idea of, of being still, getting quiet and being able to, to hear what God has to say. That means to be a disciple, one of the things that we are called to do is to have an active spiritual life so that in our quiet moments, both in community and personally, we can hear what God is calling us to do. We... Like uh, Heather said in the, the children's moment, it's not about you know, having our Bible near us or under our pillow. We have to engage with the text to see what it has to say with, to us and how, and how it informs our life today. We are a spiritual community and we are traveling together. The disciples, when they were sent out, they were not sent out alone. They were sent out in pairs. We have each other to travel with as we discern what our call is to go out and serve a hurting world. So the cost, 
leaving our previous life and being sent out into the world. When you have an active spiritual life, your consciousness gets disrupted. The things that you believed about yourself and the world have a way of shifting. And it results in a lot of the things that you thought were true not being true. The cost of discipleship is waking up. The inability to live our lives the, the, the way we have been. It is a consistent home leaving like the disciples were called to do. They left their homes, they, they were at odds with their family, they struck out not knowing what was going to happen. It's growing comfortable with discomfort. It's the ability to be present in other people's pain, to, to be grounded and rooted in our own spirituality so that we can, can hold space for, for those who are hurting. It's walking away from safety and security to engage with those people who are outside of our walls. And and in some cases, even what the text says, losing our life to take up the cross and follow him, even the possibility of going to jail and placing our bodies on the line. Com uh, currently, er, not currently, but in, in modern times, we have uh, some examples of people who are willing to do this because they are sold out on what their faith means. The, the, the question itself comes from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, was a, a Lutheran minister in Germany. And he, uh, in 1939, was, uh, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship. That's the name of one of his most famous books. And so uh, when, I, when I saw the question, that was immediately where my brain went. And he, in Germany, was involved in, in a plot to overthrow and possibly kill Hitler, the Operation Valkyrie, which um, placed a suitcase bomb in Hitler's compound. Uh, he was imprisoned, actually not for that, uh, but for a, a thing called Operation 7, which was smuggling Jew, uh, 15 Jews out of Germany and into Switzerland. Uh, other folks who, who have this, this spiritual life that moves them to act are some um, uh, anti-war, anti-nuclear proliferation uh, Catholics uh, named the Plowshares Movement who, who tells uh, an amazing story of going into a, a, a nuclear weapons hangar, uh, not knowing the layout of it, but, but having prayed and, and being led to where the warheads were and being able to destroy them. They were, uh, a few of them, they were, they were apprehended but, uh, and went to jail. And then they said that, their, that some of the best ministry they did was, was to the people that they were jailed with. This is the kind of, of laying a life on the line and that driven by spirituality that, that is an image of what it means to be a disciple here now. Christianity is in the news again, if you don't know. Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, used a very particular uh, passage from Romans, the beginning of Romans 13, to uphold his agenda of separating children from their parents and keeping people in cages in, in, border, in, in a border immigration town. This is not uh, what I was going to talk about when I first wrote this sermon, but the news this week would not leave me alone. Some of the, the, the ways that 
that Christians on kind of our side of the divide uh, will address that is to address it from a theological standpoint and, and from a standpoint of uh, what, what we call in seminary responsible hermeneutics, uh, that, that this is an irresponsible hermeneutic, that he is a uh, way of reading the Bible that, that he is, is using to, uh, to further his own agenda uh, and harming people. But honestly, that's not what's at stake. Christianity is an institution, and it's not Christianity as an institution that we are called to defend. It is the oppressed uh, that we are called to defend. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus doesn't need us to defend his name. He needs us to be our, his hands and his feet in this world. It's not about theological quibbling. Christianity has been on the wrong side of history just as many times as it's been on the right side of history. And when it's on the wrong side of history, it costs and ruins lives. It's not Christianity whose name we need to redeem. It's the oppressed people that we need to stand beside, and they will know we are Christians by our love and by our discipleship. If we say we are Christians, if we say Jesus is our guide, then yeah, that's heck, like, really uncomfortable because of what he calls us to do. Discipleship is hard. It has a high cost, but the cost of not being disciples in this moment right now is too high not to pay that cost. Do we have the courage to live the way that we sing? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Do we have that courage You are being called, we as a community are being called, and it's terrifying. It's not a small task, it's costly. But there are the promises too. The vine and the branches, the community, the peace, the love, the hope. We are not alone, and we are promised we will be sustained in this work. In a few minutes, we'll take communion. Communion is when we come together as a group and as a community of faith to remember the person whose story we follow, the faith that we profess and proclaim with people all over the world. It is bread for the journey. It is literally food to sustain us in this work. We travel together. We are not alone. We are together as a community, and we have small pockets of people here uh, that, that are working together to, in whatever you are being called to, to do. There's, there are, is a litany of ways that this world is hurting. I don't know what it is you're called to do. But I do know that you're called to do it. The still speaking God will say something to you when you get quiet and engage in the cycle of prayer and work like those from the Plowshares movement. We have to get quiet to hear what is the next right thing. How are we to respond? In a few minutes, um, we will... uh, It's printed in your bulletin wrong. You you have uh, Micah 6 in your bulletin, but the one that I would like to sing is actually St. Teresa's prayer that, that we are the hands and feet of God in this world. So I would like you to take a second to look at your hands. Just hold them out in front of you. Christ has no hands on earth, but these ones, ours. Contemplate the work 
that God has set aside for your hands to do? What is it? What speaks to your heart in this moment? And if you wish, receive this blessing and commissioning of your hands. God, bless the hands of these your disciples. May they do all you have called them to do, to heal, to build, to carry, to write, to cook, to protect, to create, to gather, to give, and to serve. When they grow weary, may they be sustained by you and uplifted and encouraged by their fellows laboring in your name. Guide us as we go out from here to do your work in the world. Amen.